0: Welcome to Faith and Family, a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. And now, from Greenville, South Carolina, here's your host, Steve Wood. Hello, this is Steve Wood, and welcome to Faith and Family. Thank you for joining us today. In the studio is my friend and special guest, Father Omar Weska. Father Omar, welcome again to Faith and Family. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. Well, it's been a long time since uh, you've been here, but... um, I have some questions for you, but first I have to tell a story. Okay. All right. Uh, Right here in Greenville, uh, Family Life Center sponsored a national Catholic men's conference, and we had guys from all over. And one of our speakers was an NFL quarterback, uh, Rick Strom, so we decided that— The man who invited the most friends or brought the most friends to the men's conference would get a pass from the NFL quarterback. And, you know, Greenville, Spartanburg area has quite a few Catholic men in the area. Uh, Charlotte, North Carolina, big city, only 90 miles away. I figured, well, somebody local would get it. But lo and behold, you were the person that got the football from quarterback Rick Strong. Absolutely. But it was amazing to me, and this is is very relevant (laughs) to our topic today, it's sometimes very hard to get men to come out on a Saturday for anything relating to their faith, and yet you managed not just to bring men from across town or from the mid part of South Carolina, all the way up from (laughs) Miami— to South Carolina, but I think it's because you have a heart for fatherhood, both earthly and heavenly, Mm -hmm. and yet I'm sitting here looking at you, and I was thinking about you this morning. In many ways, you are the most unlikely person that I know to have this great bridge to men who are fathers and to a heavenly father. Tell folks where you started off in life regarding fatherhood. You had a very unique journey. I did. Um,
1: my father died uh, when I was four years old, and the last uh, memory I have have of him is him uh, being very sick and being taken away, mm-hmm. basically. Uh, my family had this—my had, uh, family comes from the high mountains of northern Spain, so they're They're cattle people, they're dairy uh, people, and none of them were uh, formally educated beyond the third or fourth grade. Very protective of the children, so they didn't tell me that my father had died uh, for fear that it would make me suffer, uh, which it would, but it would have been, you know, clean suffering. And then the longer the days and the months and the years went by— they wanted to, but they were afraid to do it, so what I experienced uh, was basically abandonment. You thought your father just willfully left, left you. Left me. Yeah. And and, uh, and I questioned it when I was a little boy. I said, I must have done something really bad for my father to disappear. And it was not until I was in the fourth grade, third grade, that uh, a letter, one of those form letters, were mm-hmm. sent home, and in Spanish, there's um, there's a an abbreviation for widow of, and that's how the letter to my mother was addressed. Oh, so that's okay. how I found out that he had died. And when I got home, I said, "Mom, does this mean what I think it means?" And she went pale, mm-hmm. and she, had, she "She said yes, son. That's your father died." So, for a while, I was trying to say to myself, "Well, if he had lived, he would have been the greatest dad in the world." Mm-hmm. Uh, and i 'm sure he he died when he was thirty eight so he was a young man and all of those things that uh, compensatory thoughts that one has mm-hmm. when you cannot answer a question right but from then on uh, i 'm a psychologist, so that that was my first uh, my first life if you will and and I know that when you have a, an empty spot like in physics, it tends to get filled some folks get filled with a Resentment or fear of fatherhood. Uh, mine, it was a burning hunger, and thank God that I got what I call second chance dads throughout uh, my bosses at work, my coaches, and mm-hmm. like that. And, and and I carried on, but I never felt sorry for myself. So my deal was to to do the Francis, uh, I mean the Saint, the Francis thing, of. Uh, where there's some, something lacking for me to put it there to help. My dream was to get married and mm-hmm. have a, if my wife would cooperate, to have an army of children. Mm-hmm. I love family life. I love children. And I love, uh, I would have loved matrimony. I think women are one, one of the best things that God ever created, you know. So as a young man, that was my thought. But then my vocation was clear to me. Which, in fact, uh, it was there from the get-go, from the time I was a kid. And I kept pushing it away or whatever. And finally, I said yes, and I went into the seminary. And for a while, maybe I can say this now. I've always kind of recoiled back from the phrase spiritual father as a priest. uh, Because I love my children. And those are the souls that God entrusted me in a very... Specific way, I love them with more than just my spirit. I lay down my life for them, and I love to hug them, and I love to be around them, and all mm-hmm. of that. So I said, "What am I going to call myself?" And then the idea of that I am a supernatural father, mm-hmm. not in, in the order of nature, but in the order of God's choice, came about, and you know that's the. It's always been with me, always been with me. So celibacy hasn't been a a burden to me,
0: but a mystery. Okay. Well, I know so many guys that, like you, had a very disruptive boyhood, teen years without a dad or Mm -hmm. just not a good dad or whatever, or sometimes even dads that hurt them in one way or multiple ways— and i know for men it's very common for them to go haywire in some way in other words if it's drugs or gambling or pornography or just you know and if they get married their poor wife is saying what what is this behavior i can't begin to explain because yeah. in the natural order of things an earthly father is to be the imperfect picture but a picture of what fatherhood is like and it's kind to me it's like a springboard To go to God the Father because that's ultimately our challenge in life and why Christ came to provide that way. But you didn't have that. So how did you connect with God the Father, not really growing up with a father and thinking your father abandoned you? I mean, it'd be very easy to project that upon God, either subconsciously or consciously. Yes.
1: Uh, I spoke about my coaches and my, uh, my bosses at work and all. And I should have put ahead of that as my grandfather. Okay. My grandfather was uh, an old timer and he had with traditional man from the mountains. He was a shepherd since the time that he was like five and a half. Then he took care of the cows and, and then he went into the coal mines and then he came to America. He came to Tampa mm-hmm. and he, he was working on the cigar factories. But he was a man of great wisdom, great wisdom. He lost both his legs in uh, work-related accidents. And he had six children to bring up to raise and his wife. And he was incapacitated. But he did what he could. Mm-hmm. You know, he would iron and do all that. And one thing about my grandfather that I never, never experienced, I, he never complained. And he loved me. I mean, I, I was his favorite. Mm-hmm. He was a man of great wisdom, of uh, many stories or whatever, so I used to cuddle up, climb the wheelchair, one of those old-fashioned ones, mm-hmm. and just be there with. And he had axioms about life that uh, still come with me. So whenever I felt uh, uh, the absence, the vacuum of my father, my grandfather was there, but he died when I was eight years old, so he didn't carry through my teen years. Okay, But he had axioms like, for instance, and this is very primitive, We come from a tribe called the Astors, Mm -hmm. uh, and he kept that alive. So he had an action like this. You do what you can with what you have, where you're at, and never less than that. And he would always put his wife ahead. You honor your wife, you love your children, and you worship your God. Those were little uh, pearls of wisdom. And they just increasing in me the hunger for God, the Father. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes as a priest, I'm a spiritual director, and I direct spiritual exercises. And one of the things that I do with my directees is, which person of the Most Holy Trinity do you pray to mm-hmm. spontaneously? Who's the right. who, Who's the go-to person? Mm-hmm. And uh, for me, it was always a Father, always okay. a Father, and it was because I I was coming from that. Space of, of not having a father, but my grandfather was a super father. He, I, I want to honor him by saying that. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Now, what if I came to you and I described a situation that I have a definite fatherhood lack. I may not even had the opportunity of a of a godly grandfather yeah. like you had. How do you? make the connection, and, and in today's world too, because everybody moves around, they're not even near very often their grandparents. How do I make the connection? I mean, ultimately it's with God the Father. Yeah. How do I do that if I don't have that, if I have that hole and it's kind of bugging me deep down inside?
1: You know, for 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 men, we are very uh, deductive, two and two is four and two is six and all of that. And I try to uh, engage people in conversation, especially when they bring this subject up, mm-hmm. uh, to go to your deepest desire. What is it that is at the core of your desire? And respond to that. I encourage guys to go out. Get out of uh, concrete and the city. Mm-hmm. Go out in the woods. Go out in the mountains. Wherever you're able to do that. And just speak to your father. That young man that I introduced you to, mm-hmm. I have some issues that I've had uh, resurface, and he says, I think you need to go into the field. And he, mean, he means a hay field. He was born and raised in Alaska, and he was mm-hmm. a cattle man over there. Mm-hmm. So he says, go out in the field and talk to God. Talk to God. And so, if you, I believe, that was my experience. If I didn't run away from my deepest desire, and from whatever vacuum I experienced, it led me to God the Father. Okay. Um, first, in a, in a way that was not um, very specific, but it became more and more so as the Scriptures basically read my life. Uh, I've read the Scriptures. The scriptures I've read my life and mm-hmm. pointed to who was there always. Okay.
0: Yeah. Um uh- I've been thinking a lot about how we can get young people in a deeper relationship with God, because without that, I don't think they can survive in this cultural situation. And one of the things that uh, caused me, there's a prayer that the church prays on the Easter vigil. It says, goes like this, Oh God, stir up in your church a spirit of adoption so that we may render you undivided service." And that's stirring up the spiritual adoption. I mean, we're children of God, but it's been described by many that we have amnesia. We're walking around just like, you know, it's of no significance. We, it's a baptism was just an opportunity to take pictures and yep. not a big deal, but uh, I've been praying that for myself, for the overall church, for my children and my grandchildren and did the Holy Spirit play any role in your life as far as helping you make a connection? Uh, Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, uh, Quite a while ago, years ago, Mm
1: -hmm. I had, uh, I must preamble this with the fact that my interior spiritual life is very ordered. Mm -hmm. It's almost military. Mm -hmm. So I never thought that I would be a good fit with a charismatic renewal. Mm -hmm. So I went. I said the seminarian and pastor said, "Well, oh, take your guitar and, and just you know go do music with a prayer group." And mm-hmm. I was loved immensely. So the spirit always led me to the Father. Okay. And other people uh, they have the experience that the spirit leads them to the Son. Me, always to the Father. Obviously, not not, not sidelining Jesus because that, he's been my my King. Mm-hmm. You know. So yeah, absolutely. Uh, bringing me to to the Father. In fact, I'm a I'm image oriented when I pray. I I visualize things. Mm-hmm. And to me, heaven is to be hugged for all eternity by, by my Father God. And to be able to hear his heartbeat, and to feel safe. Maybe maybe my grandpa was a, a huggy type of guy. Mm-hmm. And, and kiss and. Whatever you know, and uh, so he was, and he was very corpulent. He's a strong man, and he just—not when I was crying, not when, I, when mm-hmm. he just did that because he desired it. So that's the father is to me is 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 that place that's home. Mm-hmm. In fact, God
0: God the Father to me is home. Yeah. You and I have kind of a uh, very, I think, interesting. Um, paths in that uh, we both came to the place of recognizing the role of fatherhood in the family as being so important. And then I find out that you were the first priest in the world to connect with Dr. Joseph Nicolosi, who is uh, so good at, uh, he's now passed away, but the reparative therapy, and this isn't torturing somebody through some bare knuckle discipline or whatever. Right. This is unwanted same-sex attractions, and yeah. how can you you heal that? And you were the first priest, <laughs> and I understand Dr. Nicolosi was a little taken back when you oh, he was, showed up. He, he showed
1: who he was, because <laughs> I showed up there. And in fact, I have to, again, give credit to the Lord for putting uh, Mr. Uh, Ivan Ortiz mm-hmm. uh, Sr. in my life, because it was through Ivan... That I went to the conference, the yearly conference of okay. uh, of North of the National um, Association Association for the, uh, the the treatment and repair of homosexuality. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. and so I walked in there, and my clerics, of course, and uh, he looks at me and says, "Are you a Catholic priest?" And I said, "Yes, I am." And the next thing that came out of his mouth was, "And what are you doing here?" Mm-hmm. And that took, that took me by surprise. I said, what am I I'm a, I'm a fighter by nature. <laughs> so I, I was ready to go at it. You know, I said, what, you don't want me here? He says, don't want you here. I've been waiting for some of you guys to coming here. So thank you for being here. And a, a good relationship between uh, Dr. Nicolosi and I followed. Yes. And that's an area that, um, as a psychologist, I dealt with before it became named mm-hmm.
0: and it always led to fatherhood. I remember that. And my path to connect with Dr. Nicolosi, uh, I happened with two of my older children to get a behind-the-scenes tour of the youth division of Focus on the Family in Colorado, Mm -hmm. James Dobson's organization. And we were just leaving, and this was, oh, my, um, many years ago. I would say maybe 15 years ago. Yeah. Uh, and we're just leaving and I happened to m- ask our host I said well what is the chief problem in evangelical families and again this is about 15 years ago which is a good while ago yeah. and without even hesitating he goes homosexuality and it, and I said well who's good and he said well the best is this Dr. Joseph Nicolosi we bring him out here from Uh, California to Colorado Springs. And this whole auditorium you see out here is filled with evangelical parents. Well, this was a problem 15 years ago. So I got Dr. Nicolosi's book published by evangelicals. And on this radio show, I began, I think I was the first Catholic media outlet to interview him. And I we were just about to go on the air. I said, Dr. Nicolosi, by any chance, would you happen to be Catholic or just things I picked up? And he goes, of course, but nobody calls me on the Catholic No, He
1: was uh, he was uh, very much aware of that. And, yeah. And he, uh, well, his, his
0: Italian would come up real quick. Yeah. You know? <laughs> but it's interesting. And, and would you just share how, if you can strengthen the father-son bond, the homosexuality kind of decreases as that bond yeah. gains strength. Because in my opinion is uh, that
1: whole mindset is reactive. It's reactive to, uh, this I'm not saying um, as a dogma, mm-hmm. and I'm not saying it to uh, to promote anything. Mm-hmm. But in my experience, before reparative therapy became formalized, right. every man that I, that I walked with uh, that felt his life was defined basically by same-sex attraction. I didn't find a single one that had a nurturing, um, healthy, Mm -hmm. empowering relationship with his dad. The deficiency of fatherhood was always there, which coming through the back door, through the negative side of it, made it clear to me the the necessity that was there and i have witnessed incredible uh, healings yes you know
0: from a spiritual uh, perspective
1: because father god wants his boys
0: back yes and his girls yes by the way well dr nicolosi said the same thing to me every single and he's probably seen hundreds of clients (laughs) Yeah. And 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 yet he said every single one, that was the thing that came up. And it's basically a lack of fatherly love, seeking it in a male direction that wasn't healthy. And it's very interesting because parents today, I think, are very aware that there's a full court press in our culture yes. to suck kids into the homosexual lifestyle and others as well, what would you say to a dad listening who's a good dad and wants to be a good dad, but okay, we're living in special times. I think we can agree to that. How does a dad then uh, put in that extra effort to prevent this type I would of say thing? put first things first. Um,
1: a lot of phrases have become popularized, like uh, quality time. Yeah. I believe boys with their fathers they need quantity time as well. Okay, you know, uh, and I hope that quantity time is is for the good. Mm-hmm. But I would say include your boys in whatever you're doing. You uh, not only go out fishing with them and all that, mm-hmm. but if you got to take uh, make a run to a Home Depot to, to buy something, make sure you bring him with you. Okay, spend time with them, because masculinity. Uh, biologically is predetermined mm-hmm. or or maleness, but masculinity is acquired. I really believe that. Mm-hmm. And I would not only talk to uh, to the dads, but I'd talk to the moms as well. Mm-hmm. After a certain period, the boys need to be pushed towards their father. So right. m- moms, need right. needs to go with your dad.
0: Yeah, I remember yeah. Nicolo, Dr. Nicolosi said, don't be an over." Domineering mother. Yeah. Uh, and particularly when you think you have to really kind of double down. <laughs> yeah. Pass them to dad, you know. And I know that uh, the phrase has
1: become uh, uh, passe, mm-hmm. uh, the phrase g- gender identity, especially mm-hmm. in this, uh, these days where there's 150 genders, uh, you know. Right. There isn't. <laughs> it's a craziness. But the acquisition or the being brought into masculinity for boys. Mm-hmm. Has to be done by the father, but it has to be encouraged by the mother. You know, interesting, definitely. Mm-hmm. And uh, and the age is has been pushed back. It used to they used to the literature used to say about four years old. Mm-hmm. Now we're talking about a, a year, a year and a half old. And that first period is is very essential that the mother is there. Um, there's grave damage that is done when mothers are disengaged. No mm-hmm. doubt about it. But after a year and a half, two years, the boys need to be—and this is language that has—it's psychological language. The boy has to be rescued from the feminine world by the dad, Mm -hmm. you know. And he has to be uh, introduced into the mystery of what it means to be a man. Mm -hmm. Because one thing I learned from Dr. Nicolosi is that— Sexually, mm-hmm. we desire the mysterious other. Mm-hmm. If the child spends all his time in the feminine, feminine world, the woman will never be or has not, doesn't have a good chance of being the mysterious other. Mm-hmm. The one that is that is the man, the maleness, the masculine. And it just happens that when your feelings or your understandings or your inclinations get sexualized, then if, if the male world is what is mysterious to you, that's what's going to get sexualized. That's what's going to attract you. It doesn't happen always. I have no idea about the, the statistics of how often that happens, but to me it makes all kinds of sense. Yeah. yeah.
0: But, and just so women can be encouraged, a, a boy raised like this by a father is going to be a wonderful person to reattach to a wife. Absolutely, and make the kind of husband uh, and father that young Catholic women so strongly desire, and will and will be a much better uh, or a deeper consolation
1: to his mother as a son. He will make yeah. a better son, and his relationship with women and with man will be stable
0: and complementary, which I think is of the essence. Yeah, you know? and you know, any younger men listening. Uh, I think it's even wise before you get married to determine, like, what's my career, what's going to allow me that window I have to begin making my son into a man to be with him? Because the corporate world will certainly pull him away, far away, uh, and... Just a couple of trips to Disney World. No offense to Disney World, no. but that's not it. It's, it's a way of life shared with your son. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. And, uh, and I think that's paramount. Uh, a man is gifted by God to be a husband first and from that union to be a father. And career and everything else has to be at the service of that, in my opinion. No doubt about it. No, that's that's
0: cast in stone. That's uh, faith and family here. Yes, that's 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 it. Father Omar, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with our listeners today and uh, truly thankful for you and hope you come back and see us again. Hopefully. Okay. thank you. I'm Steve Wood, your host, and you've been listening to Faith and Family Radio. Faith and Family is a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. Visit us online at dads.org to learn more about Catholic family life.